You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. I'm happy to be back with the podcast. Doug and OG David Walker had to hold it down maybe once last week. I know Doug went solo one week. I'm sure a lot of you liked living in that nostalgia. It used to be a good podcast for sure. And then I had to come in and just ruin it. But I am. Oh, here we go. (laughs) But I am back. I am happy to be back. ACC Media Day took place a couple times last week. And I'm excited because a lot of other changes are coming to the podcast as far as just how we're going to be doing things around here. So I am going to be recording from my home now instead of at the studio, at least for the time being. We'll see how it works, but this is something I'm going to be doing. Um, We are going to be putting some video on our Patreon. At least that is the plan for the future. So if you're not subscribed to Patreon, remember to do so at patreon.com slash LOH. We're going to be trying to put all of these different projects together. Doug and I have been collaborating about a bunch of different other segments that we want to do. I know one thing that we might want to do Friday is watch a classic Hornets game that we would put out there on Patreon. That's a lot of fun. I got to take a look at the Hornets game. It would be an Orlando Magic Charlotte Hornets game from 1994, Doug. Is that what the year was we were watching the other day? That's correct. 1994-95 season Hornets Magic. That'll be our at least our pilot run. There is a lot of good things that I'm excited about for the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And so we'll we'll see. This is why we're doing it in the summer, kind of test running some things as we alter some of the things that we do. But good things are on the horizon for the Lockdown Hornets podcast. ACC Media Day week. Media week, I should say, kind of. Media is it a day or a week? Day. Which one is it? Couple of days, but it takes course over the course of a week so like it's acc media days last week that i had to partake in it was cool it's always crazy 20 interviews basically packed into four hours there was 11 that we did on wednesday when i missed 11 packed in two hours nine the next day packed in two hours got to talk to a lot of acc coaches though it was a lot of fun i would have rather been doing this i think I did get free food at ACC Media Days. Though. Oh yeah, what'd you? What'd That's you something eat? I wouldn't get with the Locked On Hornets podcast. What'd you eat? Um, <laughs> the first day it was just sandwiches that we made. So like it was a sandwich bar. Pick whatever bread you want. Pick whatever deli meat you want. It was fine. It was good. It had like potato salad and stuff. That was all right. But then the next day, there's a reception at night. It's an open bar, which is fantastic. So you get a whole bunch of food, and then the next day for lunch. They just empty everything out because it's the last day. And so the next day for lunch, you get a lot of what you had the previous night, but it's like salmon, barbecue, chicken, yeah, yeah, great dessert. Yeah. I think they had bread pudding with okay. chocolate and nut, kind of maybe a banana yes. mix in there. A lot of great food the following day because it's a lot of leftovers, but they just empty everything out. And that's exactly probably what is the biggest advantage of ACC Media Days. That's why it was a lot of fun to do that. What's the week. best kind of bar? Of all the bars, because you said sandwich bar, open bar. I love a good open bar at a wedding. Well, I mean, that, that's the best one. What about a nacho bar? Oh, nacho bar. That's great. Salad bar. Now, hold on. I understand it might not be the tastiest, but it will save your life. And if there is a great dressing selection, a salad bar could be even better than a sandwich bar, in my opinion. 
Yeah, sandwich bar is good. Salad bar is always great, especially if they have the good stuff out there. I mean, if they put out the imitation crab meat, the chicken, the yeah, grilled yeah. chicken, the different maybe types of cheeses. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for a good salad bar as well. But a nacho bar, taco bar, I think that's going to be hard to beat. That's good. That's good. We need to get back. I think restaurants need to get back. Do you remember when Wendy's had a salad bar? Remember? I mean, like, remember? I think Pizza Hut used to have, like, a pizza bar. Like, we need to get back to the oh, bar. Pizza bar is interesting. Yeah, it was. a pizza. I mean, they called it a buffet, buffet bar. I mean, we're really talking semantics here. But I just feel we like are. restaurants in general need to get back to providing us as much food as possible with as little effort as possible. We've gotten too artisanal with everything. We need to get back to back to the bar. I'm going to start a movement called Back to the Bar. If we go to if we go across that bridge to basically buffets though and we get to the pizza across buffet that bar, slash bar even. I mean <laughs> if we cross that bar on that way. <laughs> I, I mean you get bad pieces of pizza though. Like it doesn't yeah. look good. You know, it's it see like I'm thinking. Well, part CC. of hold on, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like part of the fun of CC's was rolling the dice. Like there was some danger involved. Like you, so sometimes you went into CC's and there was nothing great. And then sometimes it was all timing, right? Like the sometimes the fresh pizza came out. Sometimes they get they did those dessert pizzas and they would come right out, right so as you were about so to get. Good. And you would sort of just stalk the bar a little bit and wait and see like who's going to take that last piece because I know there's a fresh pizza stocked, locked, ready to go, and I'm going to be the first one to get a piece. That's fun. That's a, It gamifies eating a lot of food. Are CC's brownies one of the more underrated? <laughs> because, my God, I could go for just a powdery, soft, gooey brownie right now. Uh, CC's it, brownies are amazing. It has to be up there. Okay, for this first segment, before we get to Hornet stuff, I'd like you to update me on what's going on in other sports because I'm not paying attention, and that's uh, that's your job. Your job is radio guy as pod dad is to keep me updated on what's going on. So what, what was the big story out of ACC Media Week? Radio guy. Uh, ACC Media Week, it's all about Clemson. It's all about the offensive firepower that they have. Trevor Lawrence easily took away the ACC Preseason Player of the Year award. There's like 10 Tigers that were eventually on the first all-ACC team preseason. It's ridiculous. They've got so much talent. It's really all about Clemson. It's all about Mac Brown getting back to his North Carolina ties, whether he can resurrect that program. A lot of programs really struggled last season in the ACC. Miami under Manny Diaz, they, that's a new head coach. Justin Fuente, it's all about whether he's going to be on the hot seat this season. So a lot of these national powerhouses in Florida State, Miami, and Virginia Tech, can they bounce back? So a lot of intriguing storylines in the ACC. Such a bad year in that conference. I think it has to be better. And we'll be paying attention to a lot of the stuff that I do find intriguing. And that was very good. You gave me a name. You gave me a team. Uh, that way I can fake like I know something when mm -hmm. I talk to someone else about it. So I appreciate that. I just wonder how long it's going to be before Clemson gets rolled up in a scandal. Because I just feel like each of these college sports, football and basketball, they only have one room for one. They only have room for one team that can be dominant and also somehow skirt any kind of controversy so in basketball you have duke in football you have uh, alabama and i just don't think there's room for two teams that get to get away with everything and so i just wonder when the, i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop on tigers football dabo seems scandalous dabo sweeney it does feel like the greatest upset of all time if, if dabo never is involved in a scandal that's all i'll say okay uh on to, on to the panthers ahead. really quick uh give me some things give me a couple things to watch for panthers training camp 
how Cam Newton looks in training camp, the health of Cam Newton coming off of his second shoulder surgery in the last three years. So he's throwing Probably. like he's he's good. Is he? I mean, yeah, is he, he's okay. good right now. Yeah, everything seems to be going well. I think he had his surgery on January 24th as opposed to March 30th, two years ago, when they did not handle that very correctly over at the Panthers organization. Seems like they're handling it a lot better now. So Cam Newton looks like he'll be ready to go in training camp. Actually threw a little bit in OTAs. So Cam Newton should be good. The backup quarterback position, that's going to be interesting because they drafted Will Greer, local Charlotte kid, out of West Virginia. If he doesn't get that backup job, then that doesn't bode well, especially when you're going up against guys like Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. So Don't forget about Randy Fasani. Kind of dark. I know it's a dark horse, but just don't. I'm just saying he's there every training camp. Don't forget about Randy Fasani. See, I always equivalent that to Brenton Burson is always there for Burson's training, always the wide too. receiver. And offensive line is going to be interesting to see who plays left tackle if it's Greg Little, if he wins that job. It looks like he's got the inside track. Darrell Williams, would he be moved to right tackle? And then Taylor Moten be moved to left tackle. A lot of offensive line positions of how you would want to dictate all of that. So those are the storylines that I'm kind of looking for. So those many. That's great. So many names there. Cam Newton, uh, Trevor Moten, um, Daryl mm-hmm. Williams. Um, yeah. uh, who is Darren the, Williams, that is, I think. Trevor Henderson. Was that the Clemson guy? Oh, man. So many names. I appreciate it. I feel caught up. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on not only just the NBA team locally, but a lot of different things, including the Atlantic Coast Conference and the local NFL team. You can get Locked On Hornets on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car or you get home from work, just tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Hornets. We'll actually talk about the Hornets on the other side of the break. At least I think so. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast. So stick around. This is Locked on Hornets. Charlotte. How strong is an ox? Are we? I think we're overrating the ox. Uh, we are I, not overrating the I ox. Need to see, I need mm. to see some medicals on the ox. Yeah, why don't you do the research on that? You put your lab glasses on. You take a look at it. I wonder if mind. there's anything on the internet. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We have Steve Kyler sound on Terry Rozier's addition to the team. Also, how he would have handled the Kimball Walker situation. Steve Kyler of Basketball Insiders actually going a different route than really every other NBA pundit out there went on Terry Rozier. It's actually a big fan. We'll play that sound for you later on. Also talk a little bit about Miles Bridges heading up back to Flint, Michigan for a basketball camp and some things maybe to talk about with him and the coaching style um, of Miles Bridges, what we can expect from him. Real quickly, as you play that soundbite, I had to question the strength of a seagull today on air because a seagull apparently picked up a tiny chihuahua and the lady is now looking for her little dog Gizmo. And she said a seagull flew by and picked it up. I wonder if she had trouble identifying the bird because it doesn't seem like a seagull should be able to pick that up. I'm going to think like an osprey. Maybe that's white. Maybe she just saw the head of a bald eagle. Yeah. Maybe it's just a very light-colored hawk. But a seagull, you know, and plus, if if the seagull picks up the chihuahua, it's got to be by the collar because you can't think the beak is able to get a chihuahua, especially if it's at all full-grown. Yeah, this scene, I'm going to look up what a seagull looks like, but this seems like a classic <laughs> uh, a seagull chihuahua is like the first Google search. Uh, this seems like a classic case of unreliable narrative narrator. It does seem like that. 
Um, also, one other thing I wanted to get to at the top of the show, the one thing that I, I wanted to mention, Doug and I both have been in the process of moving. Doug crossed state lines to Tennessee. I just basically moved down the street into a different apartment in Charlotte, did get closer to uptown. But of course, as we went through the process of moving, we both came across stuff as most people do, uh, things that maybe we don't see every day. Things that are packed away in storage, a lot of Charlotte Hornets things, a lot of Charlotte Bobcats things. So I want to do a show and tell to end maybe one show every week. And I've got a I've got a bunch of sports stuff. Maybe it won't be Hornets and Bobcats related every single time, but I got a bunch of stuff. I know Doug put out his basketball cards on Twitter. And because we're being able to film this now, we are going to be able to have video. We'll put it on Patreon. You can listen to us talk about it, but if you want to subscribe, then you can actually see the things that we're showing off. So I'm excited about that segment that's going to come our way here soon. Got some real gross pictures of seagulls right now. I'm, I got a picture of a seagull swallowing a dead rat hole. Uh, mm. They swallow starfish whole. Uh, this seagull is attacking a lady's, uh, what do you call it, the sandwich with crab and mayo? What's that called? Um it's got a special name. Oh my god! Uh, I know lobster roll. That lobster, sounds yeah, not crab. You're right, lobster roll. Got my fish wrong there. And then, uh, yeah, so they like putting things in their mouths. So I mean, I'm not, and a chihuahua can be very, very tiny. So I'm not discounting that it's possible. I just think, yeah, this lady is not an uh, what is it like ornithologist or whatever, a bird expert. Ornithologist, yeah. Ornitholo- oh, I was close. I think an ornithologist is an expert on OJ. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) or an an ornithol james uh so we're going to go steve kyler we've got some sound i promise we'll get to hornets we've got steve kyler of basketball insiders talking about how he would have handled the kimba walker situation and just how much he loves terry rogier and the addition that he is to the charlotte hornets you know how the hornets handled it i wouldn't have done it that way I would have signed Kemba to whatever number was necessary and then traded him in January and got assets for him. But I can understand. He wasn't your guy. You weren't going to play games with him. You wanted to move on. You wanted to get younger. So now you do that in Terry Rozier. I love the Terry Rozier signing. You know, I've been around Terry since the draft process. I see him almost every summer. Nobody works harder trying to be better than Terry Rozier. He's at that Kobe-level dedication of always in the gym, always grinding, keep my world small, don't believe my own hype. So I think you're going to get a really interesting player. He's going to get everything he asks for, the chance to run the team, be the leader, show some of these guys a level you're expected to play at. And I think when you look at guys like, guys like Bridges and, and certainly some of the young guys that have gone in, even Malik Monk, I think you're going to see those guys rise and need to compete at Terry's level. You know, as long as Terry starts to get what he's looking for, I think it'll be a good thing for the Charlotte Hornets. Okay, three things, Doug. One, he talks about how he would have handled the Kimball Walker situation. He said he would have signed him to whatever number was necessary, and then he would have traded him in January for assets. I feel like the number one thing that the Hornets were criticized for was signing Kimball Walker, or not trading him at least, right? What was, was keeping Kimball Walker on the roster without trading him and deciding that they weren't going to throw a big enough number at him for him to not not be able to turn down, for him to actually be on this team long-term. And so if you weren't going to do that, then you should have traded him. That makes a lot of sense to me. It would have pissed off a lot of fans if you sign him to a long-term deal 
and then just in January decide to trade him and bring in a couple of first round picks or whatever the value would have been. But one, the value would have been more because it wouldn't have been just a year and a half on his deal when we really started to talk about how they should trade or how they should go about this Kimball Walker free agency. So they would have been able to get more from him because he would have been on a longer deal. At least I think so. I think he would have been on a, uh, had more in return come his way, come the Charlotte Hornets way. But you would have probably had to be upfront with Kimba, like, look, we'll re-sign you, but man, we could actually trade you. And it probably is going to be to a good team because you're going to go to a team that is looking to contend. At least that's what I would think. But this is the situation at hand. Because if it got out that the Charlotte Hornets didn't ask Kimba Walker how he felt about that potential plan, then the fans would have really turned on the Hornets and it would have given a lot more credence to Steven Jackson at the Big Three tournament saying, the Hornets have a history of not respecting their players, of not taking care of some of their star players. That was the number one thing that you would have had to address. But Doug, it's hard to argue that that wouldn't have been the better business decision. It would have been better for the Hornets to sign him long-term to whatever money that he would have asked for and then kind of had a fire sale in January because this team, as they've demonstrated the last three years, was not a playoff team, and they wouldn't have been a playoff team even this season with all the pieces that they had around them. Yeah, that would that would have required a a bait and switch that they would have had to pull on Kimba Walker because Kimba Walker would not have been interested in signing a long term deal knowing that he would have been shopped around immediately. I mean he he wanted to he wanted to be with the Charlotte Hornets. He wanted to be with a Charlotte Hornets team that had him in the plans and had plans to to contend in the future. And those things didn't come together. And I think too. It's easy, with all due respect to, to Kyler, like it's easy for Steve to say that that's the better business decision, but it also comes with a massive risk. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think that Kimba Walker, you know, is is John Wall, or or that it would have gone exactly that way. But that's the risk that you take when you sign someone like that. That uh, you're going to end up, you know, with an asset that you can't move because the money's too much and the performance isn't where it needs to be. And I mean, you got to look at it from the Hornets' perspective. Like they, they've got all kinds of players that they can't move, and I just think it would be a huge risk to think that, oh yeah, we'll just sign him, and then come January we'll be able to easily move him for better assets. I just don't. I think that would have been too big a risk for a team that was already up against it. It's why I kind of questioned D'Angelo Russell agreeing to a sign and trade to go to the Golden State Warriors because Golden State then came out very quickly and said we might trade D'Angelo Russell. And I guess it was more reported than Golden State saying it, right? Like Mark Stein said, it's not a matter of if D'Angelo Russell is going to get traded. It's a matter of when. As soon as Klay Thompson comes back, a lot of people feel that's not a very good fit for them. And I think Klay Thompson can play the three and D'Angelo and Steph can maybe run in the backcourt a little bit more. But anyways, nobody likes that fit. And so if you were to have Klay Thompson come back and then you trade D'Angelo Russell, all of a sudden this is a guy that, yes, gets paid, but doesn't have the ability to choose where he wants to go by agreeing to this. It's a very different situation with Kimba because you're not going to Golden State, who has had all this success. But it does make me wonder, why in the hell did D'Angelo decide to do that? Well, and I'll say this too. like I just said that it would have been a bait and switch on Kimba. And knowing knowing Kimba, he seems like sort of an honest guy and and a person that would play out a contract. And so it it would be a little unfair from that perspective to do it to Kimba, who seems like a good guy. But in this era that we're in, it, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be appropriate for ownership of, of a team 
to take any advantage that they could get because it seems like, you know, the mega stars in this league have no problem. Like Paul George had no problem saying, yeah, no, I just signed a big deal, but I'm going to head over here. So why wouldn't it be fair for a team to say, yeah, I'm going to sign you to a big contract, but actually I'm going to leverage that contract for better assets. Think about this is the question it comes down to. If if that is really in the cards, if the Hornets ever actually considered that, think about think about this. It's all about, okay, do I care about my perception to players right now? No, or am you I don't. such a you don't. It, well, then then this is the answer. Or do I just have to get off of this because this is so bad? I need to do something that yeah. actually works in well, our favor. And if 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 you're answering as emphatically as you seem to be right now, then sign them, trade them in January, and take all the criticism and all the hate from the fans and just be 30th in attendance, which well, I'm not well, even no, well, no, what I'm saying is, like, it, why do you care about your perception amongst players when, when it's been proven that you cannot acquire through free agency? Like, you're a hostage taker. Does a, a hostage taker can't think about his perception <laughs> among social media. Like, he has to just take hostages. But, well, well... So then it gets to the point where I think there is something you have to consider about players' perceptions of teams because then you, especially if you're a small market team and a player that might consider you in a different situation is like, oh, wait, did you see how they did Kemba Walker? They, they did him dirty, man. I, I ain't going to mess with that. And then they'll go to a different team. I'm not, so like, I, I'm not, I certain, I'm not certain that players think that way. I think, you know, and, and I, I speak because I speak from the perspective of like just knowing people with humongous egos. There's this tendency to think, well, I'm different. You know, like, oh, well, they did it to Kemba, but I'm not Kemba. I'm Terry Rozier. I'm different. Yeah. It won't I, happen I think to me. That, I think it's enough to where at least you would have to consider it. But you're right. With the situation the Hornets are in, there's no denying that would have been a better decision rather than give Terry Rozier. $18 million, although maybe not in Steve Kyler's eyes, who then goes on to absolutely emphatically praise the Terry Rozier addition to the Charlotte Hornets. Kobe level dedication is what he says, Doug. Nobody works harder than him, raises the competitiveness of his other teammates and will do so here for the Charlotte Hornets. Keeps his circle small. Don't believe the hype. I'll be there. I'll get there whether you're on my side or not. Steve Kyler loves him some Terry Rozier almost as Terry Rozier loves him some Terry Rozier. Is there anything there that makes you think differently or does this just come off as Steve Kyler knows this guy from the pre-draft process days and he's kind of just sticking out for his boy because that's the kind of feeling I get. Oh yeah well I think there's some of that I think it's a but it's a confirmation of what we've heard from a lot of people on Terry Rozier that he does have that sort of um, delusion and dedication and I, you know, is just looking for his opportunity, extremely competitive. I'm wondering, is it Kobe level dedication or Kobe like dedication? Like how is, and I, I've, I talked about this maybe last week is like, how, what will his relationship be like with the young players? You know, will, and he's already met with them at summer league. I think that's a great step in the right direction. Will he, will he raise their competitive level or will he deflate them with just being overly intense and and overly focused on winning over so over developing and getting better you know or be frustrated by the results or 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 take possessions away from from players that he doesn't feel like are reaching his competitive level like what what are those personal relationships going to be like i think that's going to be a big storyline to follow as we we move through the season kyler finishes up this comment by saying the hornets are going to give terry rogier everything he wants 
And then he also yeah. says it'll be good for the Hornets. I think we already know that they're going to give Terry Rozier everything he wants because they gave him more money than it seemed like he was going to get. They're also going to give him the option, pretty much the only opportunity to be the number one scorer on this team. I would imagine Terry Rozier does lead the team in scoring next season. So he's going to get all of that. This is going to be his team. He's going to be the starting point guard. There's no doubt about it. But is it great for the Hornets or is it good for the Hornets? I think that's the question we don't know yet. Yeah, is he going to be starter Terry Rozier last year? Or is he going to bring the same poor efficiency that he had as a backup point guard for Boston last year to the starter role for the Charlotte Hornets? Like, what will that increase in usage mean for his numbers, and what will that mean for the team dynamic in general? But look, I, I don't disagree with them giving him everything that he wants because they're you know this was a team that really depended a lot on Kimba Walker because Kimba Walker was great but also because there are a lot of auxiliary pieces that that are not sort of ball dominant or ball creating players. I mean I mean this was a team that was uh generated around Kimba Walker and and they, they you know they tried to bring in Dwight Howard to to be that player as well and that didn't work out. Nick Batum is obviously never going to be that player. So I don't totally disagree with that strategy at least in the short term. No, and and if you suck, then you get a high draft pick, right? This is what this is. Hopefully, hopefully you get a high draft pick, and that's that's kind of what it is right now. Look, that's why I didn't. I mean, it's a bad contract, and it is. It it it's overpaying Terry Rozier based, based on, on the on evidence that done. we have. Certainly, yeah. they're making a bet for the future. That's what sure. I'm saying. They they have to. You either have to take someone hostage or overpay. Like to no, me, it, those are your only two options as a franchise. There's no there's no middle ground to me. No, and I agree with you. And I'm I'm saying it's a bad contract based on the evidence that we've had from Terry Rozier. But also, you're in a situation where you can do that, I guess, a little bit. Because it's not like Terry Rozier. It's not like Kemba Walker was getting this team to the playoffs. If Terry Rozier does do well, it's not going to be as good as Kemba Walker. You lose Jeremy Lamb, your second best player from last year. And this is going to be a guy that even if he does well, it's not going to get you all that much lower of a draft pick where you're kind of flirting with that, I don't know, even 10 seat, just two spots out of the postseason. Well, to me, that's the interesting thing, right? Like what if Terry Rozier comes in here and makes this team a, a, a fringe playoff team, makes them an eighth seed, and is like, yeah, Charlotte, look what I did. And they're all like, boo, <laughs> we want yeah, the draft pick, Terry. That's going to, that's going to uh, the tank purists are going to be the most <laughs> angry with uh, Terry Rozier. We don't do this podcast alone. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's the number one local sports daily podcast network. Search Locked On in your podcast feed to see if your favorite NFL, MLB, or college team is represented. Or you can go to LockedOnSports.com. The Locked On Podcast Network is covering your team every day. We got one more segment to go. It's the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Again, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. So if you don't believe in the moon landing, mm-hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement? I think the greatest achievement of all time, and I think it's Vince Carter doing 360s clockwise it's rather really than counterclockwise. It. It's really tough. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Doug, you had something for Vince Carter. Vince Carter brought something to your attention as we play that bump where I did not believe in the moon landing. I believe that Vince Carter 
that his ability to dunk 360 the reverse way than you would normally do it, that was the most impressive human feat of all time. No, it's the, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and the moon landing and the greatest human achievements uh, of, uh, well, certainly not of my Second. lifetime, but uh, of, of mankind. I'm a big space geek, man. I've been I've been soaking up anything and everything. Apollo in real time. You could go online and like listen to the listen to sort of all of the things that were happening in Houston in real time as they uh, as they landed on the moon. Super cool stuff. Watched Apollo 13 last night. Oh man, love it. Square peg, uh, round hole, right? Yeah, actually, it's it was a well, it was a square hole with. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a square hole with a round tubing. So it's reverse. So it didn't come from that. The saying did not come from that movie alone. We're ha- we have to go back way back in the dark ages for that saying. Yeah, I don't know where that's from. I'll look it up. Yeah, but that's yep. it's definitely not it uh, definitely not Apollo thirteen. You do that. I've got something from Twitter. I, I tweeted this out last night. Tony East, who is host of the Locked On Hornet uh, Locked On Pacers podcast, he's not Locked On Hornets yet. Locked On Pacers podcast is Tony East, and he put something out on Jeremy Lamb that he found interesting. Uh, it's a Jeff Schwartz story that he put out there and he put so here it is i'll just read it real quickly schwartz walks through the case of client ricky rubio who's a point guard uh that the pacers were going after the native pacers were looking to add a pair of quote high impact players and there was a mutual interest in rubio joining his friend boyan bogdanovich on the team but when bogdanovich agreed to a four-year deal with the jazz rubio questioned if indiana was the right fit for him with rubio not ready to to commit the Pacers pivoted their focus to Malcolm Brogdon and then asked Schwartz if Excel client Jeremy Lamb might be available as well. What you got? So Schwartz, what else you got on the shelf? So Schwartz was already talking to Charlotte about Lamb, but didn't want Rubio left stranded if the Pacers moved on. So Schwartz contacted Phoenix, which was interested in Rubio and quickly agreed to a three-year, $51 million deal. Rubio locked in with Phoenix. Now Schwartz could firm things up for Lamb, who got thirty-one and a half million from Indy after Brogdon committed. The whole process took less than an hour. So Schwartz thought that Lamb and the Hornets that actually might happen, and he was going to push Lamb to Charlotte and vice versa. But then, in order to just do the best thing that he possibly could for his clients, Rubio didn't want to go to Indiana if Bogdanovich wasn't there. So he decides to go get a lot of money with the Phoenix Suns, and then the Pacers have Jeremy Lamb possibly in their sights after that doesn't work out with the Rubio thing to go after Brogdon. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so if Rubio doesn't go to Phoenix and instead goes to Indiana and Bogdanovich finds a way to stay with the Pacers, then maybe Jeremy Lamb is a Charlotte Hornet after all. Thought I, that was interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just say I'm glad he's not, honestly. Like I appreciate the Jeremy Lamb era, but I think it had uh, reached close to its max uh, in terms of effectiveness for this team going into the future, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they gambled on on somebody like Terry Rozier, who at least you can make a case has an ability to pop. I, I just think we've seen the best of Jeremy Lamb, and that wasn't going to take you very far. So I'm glad they didn't overpay him. Miles Bridges was in Flint, Michigan, for a basketball camp, and Eric Woodyard from the what is it, the Deseret News? Is that what it is? Deseret uh, Deseret. I'm never sure with the when you get like three or more E's involved. When you get the ET. I'm going to need the language of origin on that one. The Deseret News is what we're going to say here. Asked him about his conditioning this year compared to last, and Miles Bridges said he felt like he wasn't very conditioned last season. 
that it was some that he was somebody that was huffing and puffing out there. Yeah, but that, I actually, should, I actually have the sound if you want to uh, if you want to hear exactly what he said. I would like to. Or please. if you just want to paraphrase him, take him out of context. I mean, you could do that if you want to. But I also he have said the sound. that he was eating a lot, a lot of fast food, that he wasn't ready to actually play in an NBA game, and it's why that he tweeted out that he sucked last year. He's, but let him tell you. He exactly. said he said he wanted uh, pizza bars in every city. CC's all day. I was impressed you on Sports Center a couple weeks ago that that dunk that you had. Just kind of take me through the shape that you in and kind of that dunk that you had versus the dad the summer league game. Uh, yeah, last year, last year I was really out of shape, so I told myself from the jump, I said, I'm going to get myself in tip-top shape, uh, get my body right, yeah, I started eating the right foods, um, and on that dunk, I, it was just instincts, I was, I was going off instincts. Can you believe- there you go, tip-top shape. You like shape. Miles Bridges' answer there? Did I get it correct? It could have fooled me, honestly, that he was out of shape. I mean, certainly, you know, all of these rookies are – they become keenly aware like how long the NBA season is and and how it differs from their time in college and rookies often hit that wall uh, around the middle of the season and I don't know he certainly got better as the year went on and he looked as athletic as I thought he was and so you know like, like I said he could have fooled me well I, I wonder if he was out of shape but everybody as a rookie is out of shape yeah, you know, and Miles Bridges, he did. He felt like it felt like he got slimmer, and especially in summer league, I thought he looks slimmer body, now. He looks slimmer yeah. now, but he, but I just didn't, I didn't view him and think, man, you know, that guy's a little, a little out of shape. Terry Rozier and Cody Zeller seem to be the foregone conclusions, starting at the one, starting at the five. Seems like everything in between, you can make a case for a bunch of different guys. I think Miles Bridges starts. I do think you can feel comfortable about that. I do think that. Um, maybe at the four, it you know, is, is it Marvin Williams or is it PJ Washington that they just throw the rookie there? I don't know. I just feel you know, four and two are going to be the positions that we're going to look most closely at, especially two, because is Nick Batum a guy that Hornets fans are more frustrated with than ever, or is it Malik Monk who starts at the two, a Charlotte Hornets player that Hornets fans are more frustrated with than ever, but in a very different way. I'm interested. I, I think a lot of people want Malik Monk to start just to say, okay, this is the year. If he doesn't perform, then do whatever you want. Move on from him. Whatever you want to do with Malik Monk, I'm done with them at this point. I'm kind of a fan of starting Malik Monk because of the situation that they're in. What do you think they should do? It'd be interesting, right? Because do they go with a lineup that signifies, hey, we're really looking to the future and we're really trying using the starting lineup to decide is a player ready to contribute for us in the future and then we'll change that as we go along or do they do they really have secretly in the back of their minds after this Terry Rozier signing and after after Terry Rozier gets together with this team in training camp do they suddenly go hey we might have a shot at being a fringe playoff team I, honestly i think if this team believes that it has any shot that. Of course you would, but I think this team just cynically would think, oh, if there's any shot at, at making the playoffs, then we have to do that, and will the starting lineup then be more veteran-focused and be more focused on like who gives us the, the le- legitimately the best chance to win a basketball game on night one? It's, it's totally up in the air at this point, and we know that, Jay, uh, uh, that uh, Coach JB is not afraid to tinker around with lineups. So whatever you see in the preseason, whatever you see on night one, to me is just absolutely not locked in stone and could change in game two. 
we've talked about winning is important for young teams, right? Like it's, it's important not to just lose and lose and lose and lose constantly. Mm. If you want to at least reach some level beyond that. Yeah. It's important to play well, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's important to play the right way. It wins or losses, whatever. Like if you don't have enough talent on the floor and the other team has more talent, you know, they're going to win, but are you playing the right way or, or are you playing sloppy, terrible, selfish basketball? To me, that's the big difference. Nick Batum probably helps them play the right way more than Malik Monk does. Right. Totally. Absolutely. And so that, that, that's the question you have is, do we want to just throw Malik Monk out there, give him all the minutes in the world beside Terry Rozier, mind you, a lot of shots going up in that backcourt. Or do you put Nick Batum out there in different situations, playing with the young guys where Nick Batum maybe feeds miles bridges a little bit more than Malik Monk would. Does Nick Batum feed PJ Washington out there a little bit more than Malik Monk would. I'm interested to see the kind of minutes that Nick Batum gets because a lot of Hornets fans would say, I'm done with Batum. Mm -hmm. I can't stand him. He's not worth that contract. Sit him on the bench and allow these young guys to get run. Or does Nick Batum facilitate enough? And is he passive enough where at one point you hated it, but now is he passive enough to try to set up his teammates a little bit better to where it actually helps them understand and play the game a little bit better. I think that's a real thing, and I think a lot of people probably don't think about that because they hate Nick Batum so much. A lot of fans very much disgruntled with old Batum being on this team still. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, it's like what kind of Nick Batum are you going to get? I mean, if you play Nick Batum, he will be taking minutes away from someone, but will he also be – you know, will he be throwing up lobs for Miles Bridges? Will he be helping to get Terry Rozier better looks? I mean, th those are the things that I think the coaching staff will have to balance, like actually giving Malik Monk a shot to start and play well, not just for himself, but help other uh, teammates play better. You know, ultimately, if Malik Monk's better on offense than than he has been in the past couple of years, then he'll then he'll get more minutes, and if he's not, then he won't. I'm so scared of a Rozier Monk backcourt though offensively. <laughs> I'm scared of what Rozier will do to Monk if Monk <laughs> comes in and just chucks up shots and can't knock anything down. Like I'm scared. I'm scared that Terry Rozier might like choke Rozier him out. Does. Like Rozier career yeah, under that's my role, buddy. Too. Yeah. That this is this is a monopoly, bud. And I and I'm the only one that has a stake here. Thanks for listening and remember you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on Hornets. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back on a Thursday. Got a lot of fun stuff we want to inform you guys on, so stick around with us and find out everything that's going on. Remember to subscribe to Patreon at patreon.com slash LOH. How about a steak bar? <laughs>